0: all right good morning glad to be here with you all again today Uh, super thankful Uh, I was uh, blessed to be able to celebrate 11 years uh, of marriage with my wife last week Uh, pretty cool uh, to get to be married to someone that you've liked for a very long time Uh, really thankful she yeah sure you can clap for that yeah that's cool I do appreciate it. I appreciate uh, just the you know, support and everyone uh, giving us well wishes last week. So we had a really good time hanging out together, uh, just getting to spend some time together. But uh, that's not what we're here to celebrate. Uh, we're here to celebrate Jesus today. And uh, we're here to continue our series. Uh, this is week two of many, uh, where we're going to be spending time with the gospel of Luke. Uh, last week, we talked about just the kind of general concept of what we're aiming to do. And I don't want to make everything that we ever talk about solely about discipleship, but it kind of is, right? Jesus' last wish for us, his last command for us was to go into all the worlds, right? Preaching and baptizing and teaching all of these things about the things that Jesus did with his life, right? And last week we talked about in order for us to be good disciple makers, in order for us to continue to, to make disciples, we need to meet Jesus where he is. Right? We need to meet Jesus, and in order for us to be good disciple makers, we can't be preaching the gospel of ourselves, we have to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to be rooted deeply in what the gospel is teaching us. We are not going to meet Jesus outside of the gospels. I think we can, but in order to meet Jesus, we have to meet him right here in the gospel. I think Jesus is absolutely active in our lives, but we need to meet Jesus in this place. And so last week we talked about the why. Why is Luke writing this gospel? And I called it kind of the thesis statement of his gospel. So that, this is what in, in verse four it says this, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught, right? And we talked about this kind of being Luke's thesis, his why he's writing about everything he's going to do, right? Everything that is, is, is being taught by the apostles, everything that they're continuing to do by planning church, going from town to town, all of it starts and ends with the life of Christ. The life of Jesus is the ultimate proof text for anything that we can possibly do or teach. The life of Jesus, simply said, is everything. All right, The life of Jesus is everything. So I want to jump straight into our text today. We're going to continue for the rest of chapter one, really. There's a lot of verses there. We're not going to read them all, but I do want to warn you, I'm going to read a lot. Okay, so if you have your Bibles in front of you, I suggest you keep them open. There's going to be a lot of scripture. Is that okay? Hopefully. All right, we're here at church. Hopefully, this should be the one place that we're a resounding yes is okay with there being a lot of scripture. So we're going to be in, in chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. I'm going to read these stories. Probably you've heard before, but try to witness them with a new lens this morning. Beginning in verse 11, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Where, or When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or any any other fermented drink and he will be filled with the holy spirit even before he is born he'll bring back many to the people bring back many of the people of israel to the lord their god and he will go on before the lord in the spirit and power of elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the lord continuing here in verse 26 Even Elizabeth, uh, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who is said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month, is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So I read all of this to kind of point out further kind of the differences of Luke's gospel, right? Luke's gospel is a little bit different. All the gospels have a different flavor. Last week, we talked about how Luke's gospel is intended for guys and girls like us, these Gentile people who are not of Jewish descent. And I find it interesting that he, he talks in verse four, he said, I want you to see the life of Jesus so that you know my teachings are true. But before we get to Jesus, I gotta tell you about these four other people first, right? This gospel doesn't even really start out with Jesus front and center, it's about the people who prepared the way for Jesus. And in a finer point, we're talking about the guy who's going to prepare the way for Jesus. So we're actually talking about the preparers of the preparer of Jesus, right? Preparar, right? Okay. <laughs> a little Spanish there. That's, when I was writing that down over and over again, I was like, that doesn't sound like English because it's not. Uh, it's not really even a word. But the pre- preparers of the preparer of Jesus, right? These four are kind of laying the groundwork for the preparing that is going to take place. And I find it very interesting, right, that Luke starts his gospel out here because it's so interesting that all this is taking place after a very long time of, of seemingly silence from God, right? For about 400 years it's been since they've heard from a prophet until we get to this place. But I find it interesting that we find these four people and they're prepared and they're ready to receive this word from God. But As I'm reading this, I'm actually taken back to my time in high school when I first read this for the first time on my own, right? You hear about the birth of Jesus, but you don't really often hear about the birth of John the Baptist and what's taking place here. But I remember as a high schooler reading this and having all this context being taught to me, and then I read it with my own eyes, and I'm like, wait a second, you're telling me that there's been like 400 years of silence from God, right? And then all of a sudden, God's going to speak to two people, really four people in a way, And they're both related. Maybe I'm being a little cynical here, but if I was a person in their town hearing these things from these people, I'd say, are you sure about that? What makes your family so special that God's been quiet for a long time? We haven't had a prophet come through our town in a very long time. And all of a sudden he's going to show up and he's going to talk to your family alone. He's going to have this great work take place in your family alone. And maybe I'm being cynical, and I don't think that there's really any cynicism to be read into this gospel. That's just me bringing my own kind of selfishness, maybe, my self-knowledge and my awareness to this. But you've got to think people are asking questions. Is this the crazy family that we all have in our own villages, right? Is this the village crazy family uh, that, we're, that we're kind of experiencing here? But what I read from these stories and what I think Luke is trying to set us apart is that these people are different. These people are prepared for the Lord, right? Like I said, John the Baptist is the one who's going to prepare the way for Jesus, right? He's going to baptize Jesus, preparing the way for his ministry, But in order for him to prepare the way, he had to be prepared himself. And I find these four people, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, and Joseph, are the perfect preparers of the way for the way to be prepared. Are you with me? That word prepared is losing all value, right? (laughs) We've been saying it too many times. But what I see from these four people is that they were specifically prepared to do this work. They were prepared for the Lord. In our context, John the Baptist is the preparer of the way, but these people prepared him for that. These people, like I said before, there's been 400 years of silence. But I find something very interesting that maybe you picked up on as well. If you go back to the last prophet that we read about in the First Testament, right, as we call the Old Testament, right? The First Testament in Malachi chapter 4, it says this, See, I will send a prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Does that sound familiar to you? It should, because we just read it twice, right? Ernie read it for us in verse 17, and I read it again in verse 17, right? It's no coincidence that we have this period of seemingly silent time for the people of God to not hear from God through the prophets. And then all of a sudden... This starts to take place. All of a sudden, these wheels start to turn. This should sound familiar. What I'm trying to get at is that these people were ready. Look at how they behaved. Look at how God saw these people. In chapter 1, verse 5, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, his wife Elizabeth, who was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous, in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Do you see the type of people they are? Very, very specific. Zechariah the priest, Elizabeth, the descendant of Aaron, but what makes them significant is not where they come from, but how they lived their lives. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Both of them were observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. You don't hear that very often in the Bible. A lot of times, people in this situation are seeming a certain way, but acting a different way, right? I.e., Samuel, that whole book that we spent a long time on, right? A lot of priests doing bad stuff. But here, we have a priest and his wife who are descendants, and they have all the acclaim, and they're actually living that way. Set aside, set apart. Look, at, look here in Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And the angel went to her, Mary... And said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Just just pause with that for a second. I know it's not Christmas time, but let's pause here for a second. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Think about that blessing being spoken to you by an angel of God, right? Like Sometimes we want that really clear sign that we know that we're doing what God is calling us to do. Mary is getting that clear sign, God loves you and you are highly favored. You are set apart, just like your relative Elizabeth and Zechariah. You and Joseph are set apart, and something great is going to happen in you. This is who they were. I believe they're called, they're set apart because they were already ready for what God was going to do. And I want to be careful uh, when we're talking about this whole idea of being prepared and being ready to do what God is calling you to do, because I think we can venture very quickly into some hellfire and brimstone preaching, which, if you know me, that's not my style. I don't do that very often. I think there's a lot of grace and there's a lot of faith, uh, a, lot of, a lot of grace in our faith is what I'm trying to say. But when I talk about being prepared, well, how these people are prepared, it seems that their disposition is to just be ready for whatever God has in store for them. Do you see what I mean? Because I don't want us to get into the place of, are you prepared to do, or are you prepared for the day of judgment, right? Do you know where you're gonna go when you die? I'm not there for that this morning, right? I want us to be about being prepared as we go. Prepared as we make disciples to live in this disposition where we are ready to do God's will. There's a difference. Because I think a lot of times in our faith, we think a lot about where we're going to be when we're dead, but God has something for us to do while we're alive. We don't just have to be prepared to die, which, if we're like Paul, to live is Christ, but to die is gain, that's fantastic. But there's so much for us to do to be prepared for as we live. If we are going to take the Great Commission seriously, we need to be prepared like these four were prepared to receive God into their lives. And and I I don't have to preach this sermon again. Like, we recognize these are normal people. Sure, Zechariah is a priest, but not a prominent one. These are just people, ordinary people just like you and me. But the difference is that they were prepared people for what the Lord was calling them to do. Prepared people. So I read this, and I kind of get to this question for us this morning. If these four people, these giants of faith who are going to do crazy, ridiculous things that we're probably never going to measure up to, how can we be like them? I think a better question is, how can I be prepared for the Lord? What does a prepared person look like? I think there's a few things that we can take away from this, but... um, the first thing is that prepared people expect something to happen. Uh, as Floridians, we should be the most prepared people in the world because it's hurricane season, right? Um, we've been very fortunate on this side of the coast this year uh, to not have to deal with this, but Floridians are typically prepared people for these kind of disasters, right? Because it's not a matter of if there's going to be a hurricane, it's a matter of when is it going to happen, Right? And so what do you do? You store up your batteries, right? You get flashlights. Maybe you have a generator. Maybe you have all these things that when that storm comes, you are going to be ready to not have power, to not have water, to not have whatever it is that you normally have. You are prepared because you expect a hurricane to happen. And so when I look to the text and when I look at how these people receive this this news, right, they're going to be used by God in a very significant way it seems to me that they kind of expected God to do something before it actually happened. There was an expectation that God was going to do something before it actually happened. And I apologize in advance, I don't have all these verses up here. But if you do have your Bibles, these are long prayers. So in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56, I just want you to hear these prayers with this idea of expectation kind of in the back of your mind. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Do you hear that kind of resounding gong of God has been there, God has been there, and he's going to continue to be there? There is an expectation in the words there of Mary. And then over to Zechariah's song here in in verse 68. Praise be to the Lord God of Israel because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he has said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And I'm going to stop there because I think it makes the point loud and clear. Zechariah was ready for this to happen. There is an expectation that God is going to show up even when we're not aware that he's able to show up. Right In this time of silence, 400 years, can you imagine that? 400 years without hearing from your last prophet, and then this happens, and then Zechariah, he can't even talk. We skipped over that part kind of in the story. He can't even talk during the pregnancy of his own wife. That sounds pretty bad for both parties, maybe worse for Elizabeth. I don't know, maybe better. But the fact of the matter is that God was going to do something, and these people knew it. Whether or not it was going to happen, for them in their own lives, that didn't really even matter or come into the equation. They still expected God to show up, even if they weren't around to see it. And so my question is, what does that mean for us? I think that radically should change the way that we pray. If we were to pray as if we expected God to do something, I think our prayers would sound a whole lot different. Now, I don't want to like get it twisted and say, you shouldn't say, you know, God, your will be done, right? We should always want God's will to be done. But what if we prayed as if we expected God to intercede? I think our outlook on life would be different. I think the way that we interacted with difficult times in our life would be different because we would say, you know what? I know that God's going to do something, whether it's going to be my way or his way. I know God is going to do something, and I know that he is with me. Even if I cannot see it, even if I die before I see it come to fruition, I know and I expect God to be intervening in working with his creation. In talking about creation, I I can't help but think about this, right? In in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Do you hear that? There is this eternal longing for Christ to intercede and to do something. There's this preparedness that creation itself is saying any day now, right, God? Redeem this. There's an eager expectation, this longing that God is going to come and something is going to happen because God is going to do something. Whether we see it or not, creation, whether we can really even put into terms what that looks like, I don't even know. But all I know is that there is this expectation that God is going to intercede. It's bigger than you and me god is going to show up prepared people expect something to happen i also think that prepared people are flexible not in the way it's like you know touch your toes i'm not trying to do that uh, but prepared people are flexible with how they interact with life this might be a terrible terrible explanation or example uh, but there is this show called doomsday preppers have you seen the show before it's kind of wild, I'm going to be honest. Some of those people, I'm not, I don't want to make fun of anybody. I'm not here to make fun of anybody, but sometimes they'd be preparing for the weirdest thing to happen in the world, right? Like cats are going to take over, I don't know, the city. So I'm prepared for cats to take over. That's like not an actual one, but it'd be crazy like that sometimes. Uh, but these people, they would have all these things that they were prepared for the world to end in any moment, they had these bags that they would get out of town and the bag would have everything they would possibly need to get out of town. Right? They'd have a bomb shelter in a different state that no one knows about because they're expecting this weird thing to take place and they're going to be safe. Some of them are a little out there. Um, but what's interesting is that a lot of them are just prepared for whatever to happen. And what I find is that sometimes the more prepared you are, the more flexible you end up being. There's people in this room that are prepared for some weird stuff. And I'm not looking at Chip Cruthers right now because, but Chip's prepared for anything. If you open the back of his truck, he has a tool for anything. That's why he's got a cover on it. I just sold you out. I'm sorry. Um, but you, I, I remember we got, I don't have my keys on me, but we got new building keys. And there are these plastic things that we would put on to make sure we knew which key was which key. And they're a little bit too big. And then Chip said, I got a blowtorch in the back of my truck. We can melt it on there. I'm not calling him a prepper or anything, but but he was prepared for that. That was awesome, right? But what I found out is that sometimes the most prepared people, whatever happens, they're able to roll with the punches and be flexible with it, right? The more prepared you are, the more prepared you are for whatever happens, right? We know these types of people. It's not just Chip, right? I like to think that I'm, my backpack is always prepared for whatever Takes place. I got all the adapters, all the cords, all the things I might possibly need. I'm flexible, whatever might happen. But what's so interesting is that uh, I think when we talk about our context of our faith and being prepared for the Lord, as these four we read about today, the more that we're prepared for God to intercede, the more flexible we are with His calling to our life. If I'm expecting God to show up and He does show up, that means it's not going to be the craziest thing for me to change my path. You see what I'm saying? It's not going to be the craziest thing for me to say, okay, God, I thought you were calling me to this thing, but now I have to change my course. Flexibility in that way. Could you imagine being Mary in this moment? I mean, the text kind of shows us that she wasn't super amped up initially for this calling, right? What are you talking about? I'm going to be the mother of your son? This doesn't make any sense. Well, why would you choose me? Could you imagine all the things she's thinking and going through? She's running to her relative who's also having a similar experience. And they're like, can you believe this is taking place in us? But what I find is that these women, these strong women who just do such great things for God, they're the most flexible people ever because they're able to change their entire trajectory of life and say, not my will be done, but yours, God. I'm going to be a steward of your mission on earth. That's insane. And I look at the lives of Elizabeth and Mary and I look at my own context and I should be able to be more flexible to God's will. I should be able to be more flexible to help those who are in need. Sometimes it's more difficult than others, but when we are called people, when we are prepared people, when we are doing what God is calling us to do, it's gonna take us to some pretty different places than we might've expected prepared people are flexible to God's will. And the last thing that I kind of want to bring up, and this kind of combines the two that we're talking about this morning, this idea of expecting God to do something and being flexible to God's calling. Ultimately, prepared people are patient people. Patient to see what God is up to, even when they don't understand. Patient to see where this might be leading them, even though that's not the path they ever expected to go on. When I was in high school. My dad told me that I could go to this college for four years, and I could have a teaching job the moment I graduated from UCF. That was pretty secure. I could retire, right, by the age of like 55. That's pretty cool. And then uh, my senior year, I, I got more and more involved in the church, and I kind of got this call in to say, hey, Jimmy, I think you should do something different. And that was really, really hard uh, to kind of reconcile that with my, my, my family, my parents, um, but time and patience allowed that calling to not only make sense to me, but also to make sense to my family. And now the, the latter is not necessarily guaranteed, but for at least for me, that patience it took to wrestle through that, I don't know if I should be doing this path or this calling, it was very difficult. But I, I just want to encourage you that, that patience is a virtue. I know that's a cliche, but it truly is. If you're expecting God to do something, if you're flexible to his will, it requires you to be patient to see where he leads you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for the, the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, and we only barely scratched the surface as to uh, what their lives look like and really what the impact they had on the world, but Today, we look at how prepared they were to do your will. God, thank you for that example. God, I pray that you help us to be more prepared. Help us to expect you to show up. Help us to be flexible to what you're calling us to do. Help us to be patient, God. We want to be prepared, and we really want to be preparers of the way for your will. God, please assist us, arm us with what we need to do, the the skills and the talents, the people, the conversations that we need to have in order to be preparers of your way in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And again, not to turn this all back to discipleship, but that's what we're called to be, is disciples making disciples. And if we are not preparing the way, if we're not doing these things, then I don't think that we are living out the calling that we've been called to. Are you prepared to prepare the way, right? Not just prepared to go live with Jesus forever. We all want that. That is an easy yes. But are you prepared to live out God's calling in your life today? If you're not, that's okay. But we want to assist you as you go along that way, as you are on that journey. Please recognize you're not on your own. If you have any needs at all, won't you come while we stand and sing?